Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, I feel a little bit like the prophet Amos uh, with the city that allows work permits on Sunday right across the street from a church. Um, I will never forget any of their deeds. But anyway... um, there we are, and so, um, but uh, a very warm welcome to you to Calvary Church today, part of the parish of Calvary St. George's, and um, what a bizarre lesson from our gospel reading today that our Lord um, is teaching. It appears that Jesus is praising theft and embezzlement, which happens to be our Sunday school lesson today, um, you know, and uh, we've got a felt board diagram on how to do that right, and um, also we are looking for new members to join our finance committee. It's the end of the year, so... Uh, And uh, we will follow Jesus to the T. But uh, the parable is a total scandal, make no doubt about it. But remember, so is the gospel. The gospel is also a total scandal. Uh, The God who justifies the ungodly. This is what the gospel is. So many people don't know what the gospel is. They think it's the law, you know, be nice to people. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is that it's about the God who justifies the ungodly. And that is scandalous when we hear that in our society today. And so you need to understand the scandal of the gospel rightly. Um, You need to understand the scandal of the gospel rightly in order to understand uh, what Jesus is actually illustrating here in this parable. Now, I'd like to give you two insights into Jesus' teaching style. Why did Jesus teach in parables? And the reason why I want to do this is because, because... I want to blast out of your mind that parables are some sort of moralistic fables. You know what I mean? And so this is what they they are not. And so the first thing why Jesus taught in parables is is when uh, you engaged in the rabbis of those days, and you engage with rabbis even today, when they are teaching, they will quote other rabbis and other schools to demonstrate their authority and where it comes from. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't quote anybody else. He's always teaching as one with his own authority. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You know, that is one who has his own authority. He is teaching as if he is God himself. The second reason Jesus teaches in parables is so that we, that he might fulfill Old Testament prophecy. If you remember, the very first time Jesus teaches in parables, it's in Matthew's gospel, the parable of the seed and the sower. And uh, the disciples are listening to him, and they're like, why are you teaching this way? And Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear nor understand. So, Jesus teaches in parables, one, because he is demonstrating that he is a man and God himself who comes on his own authority, no one else's, and then two, he teaches in parables to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. And like I said, I give you this so that you begin to understand that parables are not moralistic spiritual fables. They do not have a moralistic ending like, make your boss mad so that you can embezzle and steal, you know? If this was the case, it would be incredibly confusing. Jesus here is using earthly illustrations that would have been familiar to everyone in order to explain and illustrate how God actually operates in the world. 
It's very important. Parables are not moral lessons, and that's my first point. Parables are not moral lessons with takeaways for you to accomplish to make God happy. If they were, this parable would throw us all off, make no doubt about it. Rather, a parable is an illustration of how God actually works in the world. Now, that's settled. So with that as our lens, we begin to see this story of a dishonest manager. And he has been wasting away his master's possessions. And the manager is called to give an account and fired on the spot, leaving him a bit in a jam. Well, before word gets out about his firing, he shrewdly calls in the master's debtors and starts discounting uh, the loans on the fly. And he knocks off 50% here, he knocks off 20% there, and all of these discounts should tell you something about the master's clients. Notice, none of them are saying, oh gosh, are you sure this is okay with your boss? You know, they take the discount. They don't say anything. This tells us that these people are shrewd as well. Now, This parable is so counterintuitive, like the gospel. The great Episcopal theologian and priest Robert Farrah Capon demonstrates in his book, Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, and he's absolutely correct, the dishonest manager is Jesus Christ. He's Jesus Christ in this figure. And he's he's a dead ringer for Jesus in in three ways. First, in the firing of the manager, the manager is killed but he still goes back to work. So you see, he rises from the dead. Two, two, in his death and resurrection, the manager erases the other debtor's debts. And then three, he is associated, the manager is associated with sinners, and his demise is to their benefit. Capon writes, the unique contribution of this parable to our understanding of Jesus is that its insistence that grace cannot come to the world through respectability. You see, respectability, this is what the church wants. This is why they want to tame the gospel. This is what the world wants as well. But respectability in regards only life, it regards only success. Respectability only regards winning. It will have no truck with grace that works by death and through losing, which is the only kind of grace there ultimately is. And so this is my second point. The parable here, when the parable here illustrates Jesus' life and purpose. The parable illustrates how the gospel actually works. Jesus was not respectable. As we've heard in our gospel readings from a couple of weeks back, he broke the Sabbath. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He is crucified in between two thieves. And in his ultimate firing, his death, we, all those who owe an unpayable debt that we cannot pay, well, we're the ones who benefit because he wipes our slate absolutely clean. And the end of the parable says what? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And we hear that throughout the gospel. This is my well-beloved son. Listen to him. 
So finally, our gospel reading then begins to conclude with Jesus talking about faithfulness and not serving God and mammon. And here's where people get bludgeoned with the law at this moment. You know, where's your checkbook? Let me see your checkbook and I'll see what your idols are, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, especially during stewardship season, the minister's voice just becomes shriller and shriller. And we love to talk that way. And we miss the point. What Jesus says here is descriptively true. It's descriptively true. Faithfulness in little means faithfulness in much. And faithfulness in things temporal reflect a faithfulness in heavenly things. That is God-honest truth. However, if you're like me, your heart never ever lines up perfectly. It's divided. I always vacillate between trying to serve myself and trying to serve God. And most days I'm so busy serving, like, you know, I think I'm serving one master, but I'm so busy serving multiple masters, I'm just actually praying that the two don't recognize each other. And the thing is, is that Jesus knows this. I think I can hide it from him, but the truth is, is that Jesus knows this. He knows how faithless I am. And he knows my fears. And he knows my trusts. And he knows my loves. And he knows that it is rarely him only. Yet in those moments that I realize it, because I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, well, I can confess. And I can thank God that I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And as John says, he is faithful and just to forgive me all of my sins. Because I have a dishonest manager in my corner who operates by grace alone. And so do you. You have a dishonest manager, Jesus, in your corner who operates by grace alone. And the world perceives that as dishonest. You know, we live in a world, man, you mess up, you are out. You are out. Just look at Trudeau. I mean, he's hanging by a thread. You are out. It is ungracious world. And grace appears dishonest to the world. But you have a manager, a dishonest manager named Jesus, who operates by grace. And he loves you. And he knows who you are. And he forgives you. Because where we love wealth, Jesus on our behalf loved God purely. Where we pursued comfort and profit, Jesus took on a crown of thorns, and took up his cross, embracing loss and death for you and I. So that where we are faithless with little, Jesus for you is faithful with much, and has demonstrated in his resurrection from the dead that he has now given you eternal riches, which as his children he now showers and lavishes you with, whether you know it or not, by virtue of your baptism. And this is how it applies to us as a church. You see, when this message gets into your heart, when you begin to realize that God is for you, you begin to realize that that is freedom and that he's for you with no buts. You know, well, but you got to do something. No, that is freedom. You see, and this is how the gospel applies to you in the practical sense. It is only when you realize that before the law that you are fired, 
and that you are dead because God isn't interested in your best. He's interested in total perfection before the law. When you understand that, then you understand in the gospel, all of your debts have been erased. All of your hearts have been cleansed. Well, that sets you free. And that sets this church free. And it sets us free to take risks. To live as those who've already died, because we have. As people who have nothing to lose. When we realize that, then we realize, when we realize that, that we're God's children, then we realize we're truly alive. And that we have nothing to lose. And then we get a glimpse of what faithfulness is actually all about. And so this is my third point, and I'll wrap up with this. As a Christian, Jesus' faithfulness is now accounted as your faithfulness. His perfect and true life is now accounted as your perfect and true life. My brothers and sisters, you are that free. And in Christ, we have all that we need. We have all that we need. And as we think about this next year, in the freedom of the gospel, and all that God has in store for Calvary St. George's, it's going to call us to shrewdness. The shrewdness of faith. The shrewdness that is willing to cash in on the good name of Jesus. And live as though we have nothing to lose. Because we don't. And I'm so excited to see where this parish is going to go in the next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.